I want to welcome everybody here and those of you watching online. Uh, isn't it interesting? It seems like every time we have an event for pro-life, it's the coldest day of the year. So many cold days down in Washington and, uh, and even tonight. So we got the real troopers here. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you now to open up our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things that you have in store for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, pastorally, I'd, I'd like to speak to really those who have been involved in a, an abortion here at first, anyone who's had one or in the, or, or in the abortion uh, industry. Uh, th this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news, not the bad news. You know, we read in uh, the Old Testament today that uh, the story of David and Bathsheba. And the, the scripture starts out saying that it was springtime, a time when the kings go to war. But David didn't go to war. He sent his army to war. He stayed at home. And boy, when he stayed at home, he got in trouble. He, he had an encounter with um, a, a man named Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And, um, and of course, in this encounter, she becomes pregnant and, and uh, with child. So what does David do? He sends for Uriah, who is out in the field in the army with Joab, the commander, and tells him to send him home. So what happens was uh, uh, Uriah comes back. And when he comes back, David sends him to his house. Okay, he's got, he's got a tactic going on there. So he sends him to his house. But he refuses to go. And, and you say to yourself, boy, what a man. Look at this guy Uriah. He's a Hittite. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a convert by choice. He was a warrior for David and for Israel. He had a wife that even the king desired, and the, wife, and the king could have had anyone. But he wouldn't go and sleep with his wife. Why? Because his fellow army soldiers were out in the field living in tents, away from home, didn't have the pleasures of home, and therefore he was not going to go. He was going to uh, sleep uh, at the, at the uh, castle of David rather than in his own home. He was really quite a man. But what does David do then when he doesn't do that? David takes Uriah, writes a note, puts the letter in his hand and says, take this to Joab. And the letter had in it a note saying, Joab, put Uriah in a place where the fighting is fierce and that he'll be killed. And so it does happen. Uriah gets killed and, um, and so do some other soldiers in, in David's army get killed. I don't know what you would call David, but I'd call him a bum <laughs> if, 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 if I heard that. Story. But what does God call David? God calls David a man after his own heart. But why would God call David a man after his own heart when he did such an event? The reason was because David repented. He didn't at first. At first, he didn't even seem to be uh, troubled by it. I mean, there are some places in the scripture where it looks like he may have been troubled by it, but he couldn't connect with what he did. So what did God do? He sent the prophet Nathan. If we read the next chapter, we would see that Nathan goes and he tells David a story. And the story that he tells him is that, uh, David, there's a man that had one little lamb. And they loved the lamb. The kids play with it. They slept with it and everything. And there was a rich man who had plenty of flock. And a visitor came to the rich man, and he wanted to make him a good meal. So he went and took the one lamb from the poor person, slaughtered it, 
and they had the feast with that lamb. When David heard that story, he was enraged. And you know what he said? He said, whoever did that shall die. And Nathan, Nathan turned to him and said, you're that man. You see, it was at that time that David realized what he had done. The loving conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon David at that point, and he repented. And so if you wanted to read David's prayer of repentance, it's, it's Psalm 51. It's, it's well worth reading. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, the first step to God is always repentance. It doesn't matter what you're involved in. That first step that, uh, of repentance is the means of forgiveness for God. Once you've repented, which means to confess and to renounce, then God will forgive you. He's a loving God. It's his desire to forgive us. And then you'll be like the woman in the gospel that was caught in adultery. And the Lord will say to you, is there anyone to condemn you? You say, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you either. But go and sin no more. You see, then too, God will think of you, regardless of what you've done or what you've been involved in, that you'll be a man or a woman after his own heart. You know, the Lord says, listen to what he says. He says, come, let us reason together. Are you kidding me? God is going to reason with man? Why would he ever want to reason? I can't even reason with a child. And he, God is going to reason with me? He says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, I'll make them as white as wool. As far as the east is from the west, I'll separate you from your sin, and I'll remember your sins no more. You see, your mistakes, your shame, your weaknesses, your humiliation, your failings, they've been all been nailed to the cross. And when we raise up the Eucharist today, later, your sins are hidden in Christ, in God, because of what he has done. That's the good news. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The liar will bring them up all the time. That's what he does. He loves to bring them up. You have to stop listening to him. He'll bring up the past all the time. Remember the garden? He's always, you know, repackaging the lies. In the garden, he said, if you eat of the fruit, surely you'll never die. Surely you won't die. Well, now man dies. So he says, oh, don't worry about it. You'll be reincarnated. You know? So uh, we, we need to know the tactics, the deception of the evil one. He's the deceiver of all mankind. If you looked at uh, his tactics of repackaging things, you know, there are arguments and lies that he used leading up to the Civil War, and I, I, I thought that they were pretty interesting. There was a group of abolitionists who were against slavery, and then there were people who were pro-slavery, pro-choice for slavery. And these are some of the arguments that the devil used for slavery. He said, the whole slavery question is just a matter of, of a small religious-based minority trying to impose their morality on someone else. Some Christian preachers draw huge crowds for their anti-choice sermons, but theirs is not the only Christian view. In the South, many Christian denominations willingly and strongly support a person's right to own slaves. Sound familiar? The law does not say that a person must own slaves. It's a matter of choice. Those who believe slavery is wrong need not participate in it, but they have no right to prevent others from doing so. Slaves are our property. You have no right to tell someone what to do what they cannot do with their property. 
the anti-choice forces uh, say that a slave is a full human being with all the rights of other citizens. The Supreme Court says otherwise. If the anti-choice forces are allowed to uh, alter existing law, will any of our rights then be safe? And what will be the cost of emancipation? There are already too many poor people with limited resources. Can families and the nation afford more citizens and the economic havoc it would cause? Many anti-choice leaders will never have to face the slavery issue on a personal level. They won't have to face the social and economic burdens their policies will cause. And if the majority of Americans do not support abolition, the majority must be heard. We're not pro-slavery, we're pro-choice. Sound familiar? It's the devil turning those same issues around to degrade one who is created in the image and likeness of God. He's used these same arguments over and over again and has repackaged them. Especially, we, we have to stop believing his lies. Especially women. Women are so special. Women, you have to realize how special you are. Do you realize that all of mankind comes through women? Comes through a woman. That's how special she is. The child in your womb is special. God, in mystery, is creating life in the womb of a woman. Listen to what God says when he's questioning Job. He says, from whose womb, from whose womb, did ice come forth and has given birth to the frost of heaven? See, God is figuratively speaking and figuratively telling us that all creation comes from his womb, if you will. And, and God is saying that he works in the unseen and in the mysteries and in, my, in mysterious ways like he does in the womb. Psalm 139 says, for you, that's God, formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Isaiah, it says, thus says your Redeemer, who formed you in your womb. Jeremiah says he was called even before God formed him in the womb. And there's numerous examples of God opening up wombs of women who, who were closed, whose wombs were closed and couldn't have children. We see Hannah, we see Sarah, we see Elizabeth, we see Rachel, and many more, even some today that are unnamed. It gives us a glimpse of God's sovereignty concerning the womb and how we participate with him as life is created. It's a sacred honor to have life created, to participate in God as he breathes life into a person and is delivered from the womb of a woman. Moses called children the fruit of the womb, a gift from God. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. No wonder the devil wants to destroy us even before we're, they're even born. Remember, uh, you know, this has been happening since days immemorial. Remember when Moses was born and Pharaoh wanted to kill all the young male boys when something great was going to happen, something del some deliverance was coming upon his people, and somehow the devil wanted to kill all the young boys. When Jesus was born, look what Herod did. The first thing he did was summon his troops to go and to kill the children in, um, in uh, uh, Bethlehem. But this has been going on for a while. There's a God in the Old Testament, not a God at all, but he was a Canaanite God called Moloch. <laughs> and um, 
even the Israelites, fell into idolatry and sacrificed their children to this god, Moloch. And it's not much different than what's happening today. They sacrificed them in a valley called Ben-Hinnom. And, and um, uh, even Leviticus tells the Jewish people that they were forbidden to do any such thing. This is the greatest holocaust we've ever seen. It's, it's been from the beginning of time. It's the greatest holocaust. We're in a spiritual battle of epic proportions, and sometimes we're asleep in the light. In fact, most of the time, the church who is actually should be in battle on behalf of this is on R&R. You know, the kingdom of God is under assault. And he's given us weapons to defend the kingdom, and not only to defend it, but to advance it. And often our faith in the word of God and in the, and in the weapons that he's given us is really lacking. We, and, and because our faith is lacking, we really don't get to see the victory that we do have in him. Because without faith, of course, it's impossible to please God. That's why I'm so glad that you guys are here tonight. In one respect, I'm happy that we're not marching down Congress, uh, uh, Congress Street in, in Washington, D.C. Now, let's face it, uh, the CEC was born out of the pro-life movement. And the CEC has never seen it as a political demonstration. They always saw it as a retreat, a two-day retreat where they took the youth down there and they, the, the patriarch would have mass with them and they would, and they would uh, train them on, on how to share the gospel from a pro-life perspective and then pray in front of the Supreme Court. That was our goal when we went down there. But many people might go down there to appeal to Caesar, to Congress. But we're no longer going to appeal to Caesar. We want to appeal to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's his time. It's his victory. It's his army. And it's his way. Every soldier prepares himself for war. And you're a soldier. The minute you were born again, you enlisted as a lifer. There's no way out. <laughs> Thank God. And, you know, this soldier... And he prepares himself, why? For his good and for the good of those he's defending. He's familiar with his armor. Are you? He knows his assignment. Do you? He knows the tactics of the enemy. These are things that military men study. He's intimately aware of his weaponry. He's committed to the commander and his fellow uh, soldiers. He knows that he's standing in the gap for the defenseless, for his family, for other citizens, and for soldiers. Speaking of the defenseless, the scripture has always told us to care for widows and orphans. You don't become more orphan than one whose parents have abandoned you before you were even born. You know how some, some have called uh, that abortion is a human right. A human right? What about the rights of the human that's in the womb? We're at the point now where we're giving money to foreign countries uh, to, uh, for, for their, to assist them in, in women's health uh, through abortion. It, it's, uh, it's something that, that we, we really need to take a stand. The church is the conscience of the state. And so we have to uh, somehow uh, have the, the, the state understand that they're wrong. Because, let's face it, if, a, if an individual has, commits an abortion, that's one thing. But for a nation that God has given to protect its citizens, 
sanctifies it. That's completely another thing. And so we're, we, we are in a dangerous spot. It, it's time for us to put on our armor, to take up our weapons, and to stand in the gap. It's not a time for peace. It's a time for war. It's a time for war against the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, not against other human beings. It's a time to proclaim peace to those human beings who are still under the control of the evil one. You know, uh, in Ephesians 2, I have it in my pocket here, um, it says, this is all of us now. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Not them, you. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the powers of, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in our passions and flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. For by grace you've been saved. That's who we, we were in that position. And we've been saved because of the mercies of God. So we need to preach peace to those who are still in captivity. But it is a time of war against the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We must remember and we must remember to act. We have forgiveness in Christ. And forgiveness forgets the past. We have victory in Christ, so don't grow weary. We have peace with God through Christ our Lord. We have access to his throne of grace for grace and mercy in time of need. And we've been given his word, our assignment. And we've been given the Holy Spirit, the power of God in person to walk out his will. And he's called us for such a time as this. So I ask you today that you would Remember to pray daily for all of those who are in leadership in the pro-life movement, Father Terry and others, mindful that our prayer is a weapon that God has given us to use. Amen. Then I ask you to love those who are involved in the abortion industry. Love them like you would your own children and your grandchildren, because then you'll find yourself praying for them as you would just your own family. And then we'll be doing what we've been called to do, Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for our enemies. And so when we do that, now we've entered into spiritual warfare and we'll tear down strongholds and God will have the victory because the victory belongs to him. And then have this attitude towards them, the same that Christ had. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Even when you have no authority here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For, uh, for we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And he has seated us in the heavenly places with him. Far above every name that's been named. Far above every principality and power and dominion in the heavenly places. And so you have no authority and no right to our children, to our grandchildren and their descendants who are far off. And Father, we ask you too now to just touch those who... Uh, are hurting and shameful today for some of the things that they've done in this area, that your peace, which surpasses all understanding, would guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And now if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's offering you the forgiveness of all your sins. You take away your shame. And so if you'd like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can have one by saying a simple prayer that I'll lead you in right now. So if you would pray after me, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner 
forgive me for my sins. Please accept the death of Jesus Christ on my behalf. I open the door of my heart for you to come in and to make me the person you want me to be. And from this day forward, I promise to do to the best of my ability everything that your word and your spirit says. In Jesus' name, amen.